This is the Disciple Makers Podcast. The following audio comes from the National Disciple Making Forum by Discipleship.org. The theme was Disciple Maker, and an organization called Disciple First hosted a track called Invest in a Few, How to Raise Up Reproducible Disciple Makers. So that's where the audio for today's episode was recorded. And I want to make sure that you go online and download a free ebook from their team called Invest in a Few, which is about practical ways to disciple people by investing in a few. It's available for free at discipleship.org slash disciple first. That's one word, just discipleship.org slash disciple first. And now for the track session. Okay, uh, folks. You have endured to the end, right? All right, very good. Thank you for being with us, and I hope uh, I hope what you're getting is helpful. Um, and we want to continue the conversation, so go to that disciple first uh, backslash community, and we'll want to stay in touch with you and uh, be a continued resource for you. Here's some things that I, I'd like for us to do. We're going to take about two minutes. And I'd like for you to take out a piece of paper or a, a tear-off piece. It doesn't really matter. Um, if you need some, we can pass some around. We can find some. But what I'd like for you to do is just uh, write down a question uh, that, that you have on your mind. Maybe something you're going through. Maybe something you're struggling with in your area of ministry. Uh, and when we get to the panel discussion, we're going we're gonna to talk through those. And that we certainly won't be limited to those that submit a question but it, or a, an issue, but it kind of helps us kick, kick start it. So if you could do that right quick, just jot those things down. And here's Glenn right here. He's going to take those from you, right, Brother Glenn? Sure. All right, so he'll take it from you, and then uh, that will be great. Okay, uh, we are, are, we're going to wrap up with talking about staying the course how do, you, how do you stay the course in investing in a few? We've been talking quite a bit about the phases and what does it mean to invest in other people. So how do you stay the course? A lot of people get started in investing in folks, and then over the course of time, you know, they, they just uh, struggle. They get discouraged. They, they get disappointed, uh, kind of like what uh, Chris was talking about last time, and, and fail to stay the course. So how do we do that? I had a, a friend of mine named Herman Reese. Herman was, was a, uh, or, or yeah, was in his working time a, a surgeon. He also ran a restaurant. He was a businessman. He was, a, he was an industrious guy. Herman was the kind of guy that wore his clothes out from the inside out. You know, he just was so busy that he just uh, was constantly doing lots of different things. But Herman loved Jesus, and he was fully committed to Christ, and he was a disciple maker. And he led lots of people to Christ in Oklahoma City. A lot of the businessmen, people, CEOs and leaders, he led them to Christ. He would disciple them in their offices. And Herman was a member of, of my church and really was one of, the, one of those businessmen that invested in me and, and trained me. Uh, and Herman would constantly ask me, who are you discipling? Who are you investing in? Even long after I left the church and I was at, at Colleyville, he would call me up. Uh, what verse you got memorized? Who are you Who are you? Who are you investing in? Who are you spending time with? Uh, Herman was a guy, he's now in his mid-80s, and he is still going strong. 
He, he is a guy that has persisted to the end. He is going to run through the tape. Uh, he is not changing his mind. And uh, he is a man that's really stayed the course. So when I think about Herman, I, I think about other men like him. Uh, what I want to do is just talk about here are a couple of things that you can do to stay the course of investing in a few. And then we're going to have our little panel discussion. Okay, so here's the first thought is uh, just keep your walk with Jesus healthy. You, gotta, you have to stay healthy in your personal walk with the Lord. Jesus said, uh, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. What that means is that um, you're going to reproduce what you are. And if you are not healthy in a, as a personal follower of Jesus, then you're not going to produce healthy people. And you're not going to stay the course uh, long term. Uh, Jesus told his disciples in John 15, he said, remain in me and I also will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Multiple times that verse, he says, you must remain. You must remain. Apart from you, me, you can do nothing. If you remain, you will bear fruit. There's a sense that we have to stay vitally connected to Christ. Listen, you're never going to have long term, over the course of 10, 20, 30, 50 years, bearing fruit unless you're remaining deeply in Jesus. You agree with that? And, and that's so easy to know that up here, but it's easy in our own hearts to no longer, we, we just become uh, religious professionals and we no longer nourish our own souls and walk with God deeply and, and, and are learning new things from Him. So these are nothing new, but these are just things to uh, think about uh, one is just being in God's Word every day. Just being in God's Word every day, drawing up nourishment from Him. Um, just remembering that it's all about Jesus. I remember we were in a uh, conference some time back. Uh, we, our Disciple First Ministry does a conference kind of like this called the Flashpoint Conference. We bring in people and we all talk about disciple making. And uh, one of the ladies that has invested in my life and my wife... Uh, she said, Craig, this is all so great, but never forget, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And it's just a great reminder. You know, it wasn't a rebuke. It was just more of an encouraging reminder. Hey, in all the stuff that you do, don't ever forget that this is about knowing Him and following Him. So nurturing your soul every day in God's Word. Um, you know, saturating your life with prayerful dependence on the Holy Spirit. Yielding every day to His control in your life. Walking in the Spirit, not in the flesh. Asking God to show you and direct you and lead you, even in the, in the small mundane decisions in life. Uh, to surround yourself with like-minded believers who are uh, committed to walking with Jesus and know Jesus and, and just making sure you're staying with people like that. Um, and this last one is just to keep learning. Uh, I'm amazed at Herman, you know, here he is in his 80s, but he's constantly learning and reading and studying and, and growing in his faith, uh, growing in what does it mean to be a disciple maker. And he and I will have great conversations about that even now. And so, you know, you have to keep growing. 
you're, you haven't arrived, I haven't arrived, we all have to keep growing and stretching and developing and learning. And so listen, as you do that through conferences like this, resources, books, uh, podcasts, whatever you can get your hands on, as you're growing and learning, you're going to be nourishing yourself in your, in your walk with the Lord and in your vision of making disciples and make disciples. I'm telling you, people that last for the long haul, that's what they do. When I talk to them, they're talking about their time in the Lord. They're talking about the scripture they're memorizing. They're talking about their prayer. They're talking about what they're growing and they're learning. They're saying that to me. So I'm just observing this. I want to be that guy that's in his 80s that's still going at it. Right? Don't you? I want to be that person. So I know if I'm going to be there, uh, I've got to to keep nourishing myself spiritually. Uh, Another thing uh, is just keep reaching the lost around you. You know, Herman, like I said, was constantly reaching out to businessmen in his community. I'll never forget this one man ran a, it was a CEO of a company that had horse racing uh, in Oklahoma City. They had kind of paramutual betting and whatnot, horse races down there. And of course, most of the Christians in town wouldn't want to get anywhere close to that, you know, or at least they would, they'd have to disguise themselves, right, (laughs) if they were going down there. Uh, but Herman befriended this CEO and shared the gospel with him multiple times. And over the course of time, this man gave his life to Christ, was radically saved, uh, was discipled by Herman, growing in his faith, ended up walking away from that business, doing some other kind of business, and, and he would share his testimony of how Jesus Christ radically, radically changed his life. And it, I just learned from Herman that, you know what, you always have got to have your eye on that person that doesn't know the Lord. You've always got to have your eye on the people that do not uh, know Christ. And so if you want to make disciples for a lifetime, you've got to prioritize being a friend uh, to people that are, are far from God. You've got to make lists you know, of people. I've got in my wallet a list of people that are far from God that I'm praying for. I have on my phone an alert at 316 every day uh, that pops up and it alerts. Pray for and it's a list of people there. Um, you've got to be constantly saying, you know, who am I going after? And, and I remember somebody saying it last night in our large session. You know, it's easy as you kind of lead ministries and so on that you forget these basic, simple things of just who are the people, maybe your neighbor, maybe a friend. Um, one of the things that you can do is that you can, you can constantly work your fields I'm going to uh, draw a little something here. As we train in, in the, uh, the resource we have, uh, Reach Your World, we talk about four fields. And think about, you know, like uh, fields of a uh, section of land. And you're going to work these different sections of land. Every one of us have four fields. One is where, where I live. So that is the people around me. You know, my neighbors, the people in my apartment, the people in my neighborhood. Uh, these are the peop- this is where I live. Who are the lost people where I live? The second one is where I work. Now, if you work a secular job, then that's pretty easy, right? Because you're working around people that do not know the Lord. If you're a pastor or you're involved in a church, then maybe you look at uh, people that help resource your church or, or uh, vendors that you work with. Uh, where I learn is another one. Where, where do my kids go to school? Where, if I'm taking classes somewhere, if I'm close to a college campus, uh, typically if you've got younger kids, man, you're constantly engaged with other parents around ball, ball games or uh, other exercises like that. Who are those people? 
And then the last one is where I play. Uh, if I'm a golfer or if I like to go lift weights or work out or whatever my thing is. Uh, uh, Chris was talking about he does horse horses and shows horses. That's where he plays. And there's all these relationships he has as a result of that. So, you know, you have to work your fields. And what I've learned is people that do this over the long haul, they have people in their fields that they work. Now, some of these fields, you may, like, I, I'm in a field, I, I was in a field right here where my girls were in school, and I had tons of people there that were lost, and I was around all the time. Got to see a lot of people come to Christ out of that, but now they're off to college, so I'm not, that field's kind of gone fallow on me a little bit. So now I'm having to, I'm having to pick up where I live and kind of re-engage here more. So those fields will change over the course of time, but you constantly saying, Lord, who are you bringing in my path? Who, who is around me that's far from you? This is how you stay fresh in your walk with God. And this is how you do it for the long haul. Every conversation has a potential to be a life-changing conversation. Uh, one more thing, and that is uh, to multiply your life. You know, Herman uh, uh, Reese was constantly multiplying his life. And he was constantly challenging me to do the same. Jerry, the one that uh, Glenn talked about, he also discipled me. He would say, Craig, never be content to tell people how to make disciples. You must have someone you are personally discipling. You must do that. He would go on to say, we can't take a break because the devil never takes a break. Listen, folks, you can't ever get to a point where you're telling other people what, how to make disciples, but you're not doing it yourself. At the moment I stand here and I stand up to train you and I don't have people that I'm discipling, then I've immediately lost credibility. I'm no longer a practitioner. And so I can tell you this, and and I'm very proud of this, all the guys that are acquainted with our Disciple First Ministry are all actively leading and discipling people right now. And so we're in the trenches with you. But you've you've got to be persistently uh, always investing your life in other people. Uh, one of the ways, uh, you know, 2 Timothy is a great example. What you've heard and seen in the presence of many witnesses and trust reliable men. In other words, he's saying, Timothy, man, do not ever stop taking what you've learned and entrusting it to others. Just can't do it. You can't ever take a break. can't take a vacation. Um, you've got to continually do that. Multiply your life. And then just to multiply your group. Uh, be sure that as you are multiplying your life in others, that you're helping them to multiply their lives in others to the second, third, and fourth generation. Now, some ways, just real practical, simple things, and then we'll get to our, our um, forum or our, our little discussion panel. Um, one of the ways that you, some ways that you can get your group to multiply, let me give you three things. Number one is, in the beginning, stress that your expectation is that they multiply. <laughs> I, I remember in the early days of, of discipling, I would get guys together and I would just going to say, hey guys, I'm going dis- to invest my life in you. Uh, that's more than my money. My money, you know, I can earn more money. I can't earn more days or more minutes. I'm spending my life on you. So if I'm going to spend that much of my time and my life in you, I expect you to produce a good return. And that's why I've chosen you and I've called you. It's not just to, for you to grow, but for you to invest in others. I think just raising that bar of expectation early on 
will help them to realize I've got to multiply this out in other people. Uh, a second thing is just to remind your group that one day they will be teaching this to somebody else. As you're going through, I'm constantly saying, now, remember, uh, when, when you go through this with your person you're going to disciple, be sure and say this. Write that down, you know, or I'm constantly reminding them all the way through. So they go, oh, yeah, 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 he's expecting me to multiply. And as you do that, uh, then they'll get it. They'll begin to multiply their life into others. And then the last thing is, don't release until they reproduce. We kind of mentioned that a little bit yesterday, but I think it's important. You know, there was a time when I would disciple a guy and then we'd finish uh, whatever material we were going through, whatever, and I'd say, all right, man, go get them, you know, and then I'd go pick up another guy. And I never stayed with him long enough till he, he reproduced his life into someone else. And uh, consequently, there, uh, that percentage of those that did reproduce were lower. But what I found is if I'll stay with them a little bit longer, keep my hand on them a little bit longer, and not release them until they're already well into reproducing to someone else, then I find that that uh, multiplication moves to the third and fourth generation much, much more effectively uh, as we go through that. So, you know, we're talking about just doing this long haul. Uh, stay healthy. Keep your eye on people that are lost and people in your life that you're sharing the gospel with. Multiply your life. Always be investing in other people and always be helping them multiply their lives into others. Make that be on the forefront of your mind and your heart. And then the last thing is just simply keep doing the work. Keep doing the work. You know, in John 4, um, Jesus is having this conversation with the woman at the well. And they kind of try to come bring him some food from the food truck, right? Because he's, he hadn't eaten anything. And they're like, Jesus, man, you got to eat something. And he said in John 4, uh, 34, he said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. In other words, guys, what I'm doing right now is what nourishes me. Listen, the nourishment, spiritual nourishment in your soul comes from doing this work. What The satisfaction in ministry doesn't come from your attendance on Sunday. It doesn't come from, you know, how many are in your ministry. The real satisfaction comes from the fact that I know people that I've invested my life in and they're carrying it on. That's what John says, you know, that I have no greater joy than that my children are walking in the truth. He's not talking about his biological children. He's talking about his spiritual children. And there's no greater joy and satisfaction in life and in ministry than when you pour out your life into someone else and you see them walk with God and you're proud of what they're doing. You know, uh, today is my youngest daughter's 20th birthday. Man, that makes me feel old. She turns 20 today. So I, I send, we've had this tradition for, since they were one, I guess that I always give them a, a, a rose for every date of their birth. So she got 20 roses. This is going to cost me a lot like later on, all right? I mean, it was a great idea when they were six and seven. Now I'm getting up into double digits. It's going to cost me some. But um, so she got 20 roses today. So we've been texting back and forth. And I was just telling her how proud I am of her, that she's walking with the Lord. She's in a group. She's got a heart to invest in others. She's growing in her faith. She's in God's Word. I'm telling you, there's nothing better than that. And there's nothing better in satisfaction in ministry than when you have spiritual children that are doing that as well.
that are growing and standing firm and enduring hardship and trial and, and holding out the gospel. So um, this is what Jesus talked about. He said, my food, what satisfies me is to do this work. Then later on in John 9, Jesus says a similar statement. He said, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is still day because night is coming when no man can work. In other words, in the middle of this conversation, you go, guys, we got to stay at the work because night's coming when no man can work. I grew up on, uh, in, in West Texas. And back in the day, uh, back before they had big floodlights on these combines, you worked really hard because when the night came, there was no more working until the next morning, early. And so you're rushing to do the work. That's the mindset he's saying. Hey, we've got to stay at this because night's coming. Hey, the work of disciple making not only is satisfying to you, but it's something that is, is going away. I mean, you're not going to make any disciples in heaven. Right? You're not going to do that. that. There won't be disciple making in heaven. There will be other things for us to do. But disciple making, investing our life as we understand it now in spiritual growth, we will be perfected then. What we know in part, we'll know in full then. But now is the time to do it. And listen, if you're going to do it, do it now. Don't wait. Don't kick the ball down the, down the court. Now you've got to get it done because night is coming sooner than you think. You and I don't know how much longer we'll have. You know, I think about Dawson Trotman, one of the greatest disciple makers uh, that's really started the Navigators. And uh, passionate disciple maker began in a movement of disciple making, died in his early 50s in a swimming accident. And this last January, I woke, uh, walked up uh, into the mountains above, in Colorado Springs to his grave, stood right there, read his headstone. He had no idea that his time would be short. And you and I have no idea how much longer we have. So we have to do it now and not delay. That's what Jesus is saying. And then he mentions this one more time in John 17, this idea of work in John 17 in his high priestly prayer. He's praying to the Father for his disciples. And he says, I glorified you here on the earth by having accomplished the work you gave me to do. Now this word accomplished here is a very interesting word. This is the same word that he uses when he's on the cross and he says, it is finished. He said, Father, I've glorified you on the earth by finishing what the work you gave me to do. Well, it couldn't be talking about the cross. He hadn't gone to the cross yet. This work that he has finished, what is it? It was the work of making disciples and making disciples. He knew at that moment that they had multiplied to the fourth generation and it was an unstoppable movement. And he said, Father, I have glorified you by doing this work. Listen, you will never glorify God more in your life than when you invest your life in others. It is what satisfies your soul. It is the urgency of the hour. It is what glorifies God. And this is the work that God has put in your hands and in my hands. Isn't that an amazing thing? That He entrusts His work to people like us. And so I just say, do it. Go for it. Give your whole life to it. Uh, Run through the tape. Do it to the end. So that at the end of your life, you can say, Father, I have glorified you on the earth by having accomplished this work that you've given me to do. In 2011, which was six years ago now, I was writing in my journal. And I wrote this down in my journal as I was thinking about what matters most in life. And I just want to read this to you. I said, I wrote this down. If I pour my life into buildings, they will be torn down. If I pour my life into projects, they will come to an end. 
If I pour my life into goals, they will become obsolete. If I pour my life into fame, all will soon be forgotten. If I pour my life into accomplishments, they will fade. If I pour my life into money, it will be spent. If I pour my life into possessions, they will eventually belong to someone else. If I pour my life into experiences, they will become a distant memory. If I pour my life into organizations, they will change. If I pour my life into products, they will disappear. If I pour my life into benevolence, it will only last for a moment. If I pour my life into pleasures, they will be fleeting. If I pour my life into wisdom, it will be surpassed. If I pour my life into entertainment, it will leave me self-absorbed and empty. But if I pour my life into knowing Jesus and training men to help others do the same, then what I do in this life will never fade from the earth and will echo into eternity. Just think about that. What you do in investing in your life and others, once you are gone, will continue on and will continue on and continue on until Jesus comes back. So I just want to encourage you to do that. To never quit. To continue to the end. And I want to pray for you in that regard. And then after our prayer time, we're going to have a a panel where we can talk about any of this that we've talked about or whatever you want to talk about. We'll wrap up our time together that way. Okay? So let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for your unfailing love for us. Thank you that you have loved us enough to pursue us with the gospel, that we have Christ that we are new creations, that you have filled us with your Holy Spirit, that you have given us your word, that you have walked the walk before us, Jesus, as an example for us to follow. And Lord, I just pray that for those in this room, Lord, I pray that they would be not of this world, but would live fully and completely for you. Lord, I pray that they would nurture their walk with you, that they would walk deeply with you every day to know you more deeply and intimately and personally. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to them by your word and fill them with your spirit and and encourage them in their struggles and hardships and trials. Lord, that they would hold fast to you and find you as their joy and their hope and their delight. And Lord, I pray that you would give them zeal to reach people with the gospel, not just just random people, but people in their life, people that you've placed in there, in the intersection of their life, God, that they would pursue them and reach out to them and love them just as you have loved us. Lord, I pray you would give us men and women to invest our life into and that we would multiply our life by investing in others and trusting you to take that good work that you've begun in them and carry it on to completion. And Father, I pray that we would be fast about doing the work this work that satisfies us, this work that glorifies you, this work that is the urgent need of the church today. Lord, I pray that we would be about this work and that when we stand before you one day, Lord Jesus, and that will happen, that we can say, Lord, we've done all that we could do. We invested all that we could invest. We held nothing back and we have no regrets. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, so we're going to uh, take a moment to...
Yeah, sure. Uh, if, you got, if you've got some questions, hand that to Brother Glenn, and he will uh, take those from you. And then what we're going to do is we're going to just engage in a little panel discussion about um, various topics. So we've got about 30 minutes here um, to do that. And so it'll be good. You, you got everybody on the hot seat. And so um, <coughs> once you, uh, Brother Chris and Glenn, you can hop up here and I'll just stand right here. All right, very good. All right. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. We're getting wired up here. I'm going to spin this around so I can put this stuff up here. Okay. All right. So let me just, we'll start with these questions and then... um, then we'll just let those spawn other questions, all right? So what you've heard something, you go, hey, I want to know about more about that, just jump right on in, okay? This is just kind of get us started. So we'll just start with Chris and go, go through. Uh, these are three different churches uh, that have been represented, so that's great, and, and different models and different ways that we do things. So that'll be really good. Uh, what are the evidences of a discipleship movement in a church? So like if you're in a church and you're, and you want a disciple-making movement to happen, what are we looking for? That's how I understand right. that question. All right. You know, when it comes to the forward movement of a church in general, I've often thought that those movements kind of start out as a maternity stage, and there's a movement stage, and there's a, a start of a plateau where you get into this uh, monument to yourself, a monument stage, and then there's a museum stage, and then there's, there's death, right? And one of the things that disciple-making does is it creates a life of its own, a movement of its own from the bottom up and out. Um, a lot of our leadership as pastors and churches is from top down. But disciple-making, one of the evidences of it for me, for instance, is when people are bringing people that they've discipled to me to be baptized or people that are going to a next level. They've been discipled and they're so hungry for more, they're wanting extra tools. So one of the marks of the movement is that it is an inside-out thing, number one. Number two, there is, they, they're hungry for more. In the case of baptism and maybe extra equipping, you start seeing that. People are wanting those kinds of things. They want more. And then, and then third, uh, they're... They're, they're not glorifying themselves. It's not a monument or a museum. Um, I think that's what disciple-making protects churches from. It protects them from that monument and museum stage where it's not about old so-and-so who was our great preacher 20 years ago, you know, and, and we have artifacts from his ministry up in the Heritage Hall. You know, it, it's, it, that's, that's a mark of the other direction. That actually happened in your church. Yes. You ought to tell them that just, just for fun. You know, the 150,000 square foot building that we sold in downtown Beaumont a few years back had a third floor and a fourth floor. It was huge. And the third floor of one of the four or five buildings, the third floor was called the Heritage Hall. And it had from the 1870s, it had pulpits from generation to generation to generation. And it was museum quality. So when I I use the word museum, I, I actually mean in our context 
a museum. And it was, it was real funny because of the pictures. They had the hall, the Heritage Hall had pictures of the pastors and then pulpits underneath them. And it goes from 1870 on. And of course, nobody's smiling till about the 1940s. You know? And they look scary. Like every one of them looks like straight out of the Hatfields and McCoys. You know? They look scary, full beards, you know, ugly faces. And then you get to you know, about the 1940s, 50s, and then it starts getting professional. And the religious professionals start kicking in. And then when, when they put my picture up on that wall, uh, I had no suit on. I had a MacBook, like his MacBook, sitting there. You know? And uh, no pulpit. It was, like a, it was something like that. <laughs> it was a metal, metal stand. And anyway, just what your church celebrates says a lot about the movement. Yeah. And so back to that That's question. Good. A lot of times you can hear it in the stories. If you sit in the halls of our church building... Notice that in called the church. You know, we have a radical ecclesiology that says that building and that worship service, that is not the church. The church gathered to the mission of disciple making, that's the church. And so when you hear the church being excited about being the church, a disciple making thing, you hear that around coffee pots and around the coffee places, you know, in life, the water cooler places, that, that's a sign that the movement's there. Yeah, great. Very good. Glenn, you want to jump in on that? What are the signs of a movement in a church? So for us, it's been um, church multiplication. So in other words, if churches that were spinning and multiplying, those churches are in turn multiplying. That's been one criteria that we've looked at a lot. So church multiplication, because we have a, a real strong um, heart to, to see our church multiply other churches. Uh, conversion growth, an increase conversion growth, because then we know that uh, the lost are being won and assimilated and moving the process, and if we continually see, continually see a, a growing number of conversion growth, uh, on the, uh, on, and we're constantly monitoring that, that allows us to know that's multiplying. And then groups, multiplication of groups, uh, organically, not necessarily, hey, we're forcing groups to do, but they are generating and, and it's coming out of the, the birthing of the vision that we, because that's part of what we do in training our leaders is we have, uh, you know, all of our groups are uh, built around four premises, grow, uh, grow your group, grow your people, grow new leaders, and multiply and grow new groups. And so, uh, you know, we see that constant growth happening. And then the other one is, is leaders. Spiritually qualified leaders. Yeah, that's good. And 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 uh, it, and so we're constantly monitoring our leadership development base because when we see leaders being multiplied and spiritually qualified leaders, we know that because they're in that that they're the step before those new potential leaders are being equipped to be new leaders and leading out in new areas of ministry. So the the really when you're talking about a movement, you're talking about things that multiply, right? <laughs> So I guess evidence of a movement then would be what's multiplying. So, yeah, I think, I think just as you guys have both said, move, movements uh, at the individual level, at the group level, at the church level, at the leadership level, you want everything to multiply out. And so those would be signs that you have. And to the degree that you don't have that multiplication going, to that degree you have opportunity to, to uh, grow in the movement, right? Yeah, that's good. That's good. Anybody have any thoughts wrapped around that other than, other than uh, what we just talked about? If not, I'll go on to the next question. How do you uh, quantify or qualify 
quality leader is? So we have a very strong, so what we talk about in, in leadership is we want to know what a leader looks like and how we're going to develop that leader. And so we have three really strong marks. We bring it out, of, and so it, we, we do it out of Jeremiah 3.15 that we want to raise shepherds who have a heart for God, who have the right understanding and the right, and the right knowledge. And when we talk about having the right knowledge, we want them to live the life of a disciple. We want them to lead disciple, and, and, and meaning they're leading a disciple-making group. And then we want them to leverage their influence to lead other disciple-makers. And in an area of understanding, we want them to have a shared, a shared passion, a shared vision, and a shared strategy that aligns to where we're headed. And so we constantly keep that out in front of our leadership. In fact, we bring all of our leaders together every one Monday night every month, and we, and we just, just bang away on you know, what a leader looks like and what the plan is to help move leaders forward. Uh, at our church, we are really working hard on a leadership roadmap. And basically that is how do you, how do you move leaders up? How do you raise up leaders? And so we've identified, you know, in, in um, uh, Jethro talks to Moses and he said, Moses, you can't do everything by yourself. And you've got to have uh, leaders of, of tens, fifties, hundreds of thousands. So we've broken down, we've had five layers of, uh, of not necessarily leaders, but people that serve in the church. And how do we move, how do we identify people in that? How do we grow them up to different levels of leadership? What do they need? How do we train them in that? So I think, um, I think part of the movement will be identifying leaders and multiplying leaders. Uh, but of course, disciple making is how you do that. That's how Jesus multiplied leaders, right? That's how he got his leadership team is that he invested in them. So what we're talking about here, investing a few, should be part of the leadership development plan of your church. Your leaders need to be disciple makers. We've always said you'll never have trouble getting leaders if you're making disciples. Yep. It's true. And, and Jesus was always looking not for necessarily making more leaders. He was looking for the right kinds of leaders. But if you're making disciples, you should never have a reason to be concerned about making, getting new leaders. Yeah, so I said, if, if you're making disciples, you should never have a problem with getting leaders. Because you're training people up. You're training up spiritual trainers, yeah. which is inherent that's what, in leadership. That's what a leader is. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, different people have different giftedness and so on, and so where, where they lead, you know, some of that will be a part of it. But your, your farming ground for leaders is those you're discipling. <laughs> Any other thoughts, questions about that? Leadership development, uh, multiplication movement. Yeah. Right. Okay, good question. Uh, the question was, I'm going to repeat that for the recording, is that you've got a small group and college students that you're discipling. How do you help them identify who to reach out to? Because it doesn't look like there's any in the pipeline, so to speak, right now. Is that right? Yeah. It's a fair way of asking that question. Uh, Chris? Uh, you know, we at our church have the same issue. We, we have a, a smaller college ministry, you know, 30 or so. And um, we did exactly what 
what you talked about. We, we have set up a ministry with seniors in high school. And so there has to, you got to feed the, the movement. you got to feed it. And I, I wish that the college students would go get their friends, and some do, and some don't. You know, so it's kind of pushing both. It, you know, in, in a disciple-making movement, there is an intuitive, intuition side of it, and a program. There is some programming within discipling. You know, you're, as you're guiding them along, and even the image of passing the baton, there are mechanics. Maybe that's the right word. There's mechanics of passing that baton, and you've got to do it within this, this lane, and you've got to hold your hand just such. So there are some mechanics that you can train, um, and there's others that will follow through with those mechanics that really need you to hold, hold them by the hand. And those are the ones that we try to set up with some high schoolers uh, in that way. Uh, but, but a good, I don't know, 20% of them will find their friends. And so it's kind of both. I don't know. That's, that's what we've done yeah. in our context. I'm a, you know, I, I, <laughs> so it's, you know, you're discipling through stages. So if, if you've got several who are identified that you're investing in and those few, I would just be really challenging them to be investing in the, in the next stage, stage. below uh, and challenging them to really, re, you know, really harvest out in that area. And then as they're showing proven faithfulness, then they can even begin to, you know, as you're bringing them along, then you can even have them, you know, because once they start that, that process, they're in, the, they're in the mode of discipling. I, I can be in, for lack of a better word, I can be in that second phase and be investing in somebody who's far from God. And I'm in a disciple-making relationship because I'm, you know, it's, you, 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 it's which side of the airplane matters, the, which, air, which side of the wing matters the most, evangelism or discipleship. Uh, yeah, they're both and. You know, I, I don't get on an airplane, which I'm about to get on here in a little bit, and go, hey, I, I, I'm going to get on a plane because I like the left side of this wing I need both wings to get me home. And it's just like that. You need both. You need evangelism and discipleship. So we always say, hey, you're involved in the disciple-making process. If you're in a, in a relationship with wisdom as far as from God, you're helping to move them through a process because that's, that's where it is. And, and it doesn't matter where you are in that process as you're moving people, you're, you're engaged in it. So I, I might just be challenging them on the, 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 the phases below to be pushing forward if that makes sense to what I'm saying because you're going to have you have to reach new here's the thing if you're not reaching new people your disciple making isn't working because you got to be you you, you you can you can eventually run out of people to disciple in your church if you're not winning new people to Christ because it it dries up so you got to be out there and that's the whole goal is that new people would come to Christ and then be pushed through the process so I'd, I'd be launching them out to figure out a ways and creative ways to reach new people and, and, and then kind of working them through that. Well, uh, I'll take a stab at that one. Um, you know, number one, you need to be faithful in the sphere of your ministry to set an example uh, for those of all ages as to what that looks like. That's what that passage says, to set an example. So I think setting an example by disciple-making uh, there is, is where you need to start. People will notice the fruit of your ministry. I mean, your fruit is, is the proof of, of what you're doing, right? So I think you being faithful, being fruitful is, is important. 
there may be others that are older uh, than you that are open to disciple, disciple making. And so you being open to talk with them and say, hey, let me show you. I'd love to visit with you and show you what we're learning and what we're doing and inspire them to do that in other areas of the church would also be great. You know, hopefully, I mean, in a perfect world, you'd have a, a pastor and, and leaders that, you know, from the top down are championing that. Uh, but even if you don't, you can still make disciples right where you are. And so, you know, there, there are people that have been older than me that I've decided, imagine people older than me that, that I've discipled and that are multiplying. And so I think, you know, just pray for that and just look at who's popping. You know, maybe somebody coming up to you going, man, what's going on here? Well, let me tell you about it. Let me tell you, take you out to coffee. Let me show you what I'm doing. Maybe, maybe you and I could walk through this and you could do that in a different area, you know. Who knows? But God may use that to multiply out if you just open to God bringing that into your life. You guys want to jump in on any of that? Or? Uh, another question, uh, do any of your multipliers ever stop using your curriculum and use other books or topical scripture dis- discussions? Yes. <laughs> uh, you know, we ne- give them, next question. Yeah, right? next question. <laughs> we give them choices. Uh, we have a primary tool and a secondary tool. And if they want to go out of those tools, then they need to discuss it with us. But because it's organic, it, it's, it's decentralized in its control. You, you, I'm not going around becoming the disciple maker's police trying to you know, keep them from using or saying or doing certain things. Um, I, I, like you said yesterday, I, I'm, I'm a firm believer that they need a tool. They need a curriculum. I'm intuitive. I can give me a Bible as a professor. I can train up a seminary student with just a Bible but can they then go out and do that? So if it's going to be replicating, if it's going to be transferable for them, they have to also be intuitive if, if, if they're going to do it the way I did it. So if I'm, as an intuitive person, if I'm going to work with somebody who's not intuitive, they need a tool. And not all tools are created equal. Um, I've test-driven many of them, and some are good, some are bad. So you, got, you find a good tool, and you stick with it. It has to be a replicating tool. It has to be... An, uh, inductive Bible study has to be a part of it. It has to cover the basic competencies that you need to train. It needs to have a, some sort of covenant agreement within it that it's not just a Bible study. It actually is a relational dependency between two people. So those are some of the marks of a good curriculum. I could keep going, but that has to be a good tool. And when people want to use a different tool, then I'm helping have a conversation with them about if that's a good tool or not. But I'm, I'm not the curriculum Nazi who's trying to chop their heads every time they want to use something else. What, what tools are your primary ones that you're using? Our, our primary tool is Greg Ogden's Discipleship Essentials, which he's here. And I've been using it since 1999. I've used it in three different countries. Um, he's translated that in multiple, multiple translations. We use it in Kathmandu, Nepal, and it's really, really, really good. Um, I spent a lot of time in Campus Crusade ministry, so I did the, uh, that. I've, I've used the green book and the blue book. But in our church... The two curriculums we push are discipleship essentials or multiply. If you get somebody who's, who's, who's uh, showing signs that uh, either through the education or through the fear that they have that discipleship essentials, which is 25 studies, is too much, then we go back to multiply by Platt and Chan kind of went in. Francis Chan and Platt went in together on that. And Francis Chan did a great job of giving them the big picture. Uh, we use that with a lot of millennials who don't have any Bible background at all. That gives a good Bible background look, but it's short. I mean, you can do it in six weeks. 
seven weeks. So that's our launching tool. If we sense that somebody isn't going to be committed, that's what we start with is multiply. And then after that, they have an invitation then to go on to discipleship essentials. So that's what we do. We might start using your material. I've started to say uh, that yes. very soon to be using that. I, I, need, I need a copy and I'll launch, I'll launch <laughs> one in January. Right. That's right. Glenn, what about you guys? Crossroads has lots of resources available and, and produced a lot. So we have a, what we call our core curriculum uh, that we utilize. And, and here's, here's our, again, we're not going to be policing a situation. However, we think if you experience life change and that tool is a part, and we call it a tool, we don't, we don't even use the word curriculum. We, we always say tool because tool conveys uh, a, a means to an end. Yeah not an end in and of itself. And sometimes curriculum can give this picture of, hey, this is an, this is an end. And so we, we call them tools. And uh, we have a very clear tool that we utilize. Uh, and we think, man, if you experience life change through that tool, the likelihood of you continuing to reproduce it is pretty high because uh, it, 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 it's working for you at a personal level, at, at your DNA level. And, uh, and so, you know, we just count on the fact that because it's, producing life change, that it's part of that helping to, you know, bring about the life change, they're going to continue to use it. And, uh, and so we, we, have a, we do have a very clear tools in, and resources in place for that and, and, and really challenge our people to use those tools. tools. We don't even talk about other tools. Uh, we, don't even, we don't even bring it up. Yeah, we, just, same here. we just kind of have the expectation that this is the tool that we're utilizing and, uh, and we feel like this is really, because it fits with our strategy, it fits with where we're going, our target. We have a very clear target. So we say, hey, we want to make disciples. We've spelled out what a disciple looks like. And so our core curriculum is built around helping to see that, dis- that kind of a disciple raised up. Excellent. Yes. Mm-hmm. Just wrote it. Yeah, he just wrote it. It's, it's different from uh, discipleship essentials. It's much shorter. Eight, it's, eight weeks. It's, yep. Yeah, eight weeks. It's only in a different material than what's yep. in the discipleship essentials. Yep. It might be a great starter for. We we test drove it for him. I've written some of the his acknowledgments on the front of the transforming discipleships. I've I've known Greg for many years, and he he threw that out to me about two years before, and and it it's great. We have maybe we, we haven't had a ton of groups go through it, but it's I test drove it. It's good. It's really good. It's a good launch. He calls it a launching pad or a springboard. It's good. Okay, here's another question. This is a good one. Not that the other ones weren't good. The other ones were great, but yeah. this this will be fun. Um, how do small groups that is like mixed gender and small discipleship groups that is same gender type groups work together? Oftentimes, people feel they can't commit to both. Both of you guys have decentralized small groups. Yes. We have centralized uh, groups for community and then decentralized discipleship groups. So we got a little bit, few different models going on here. So, Moody, uh, you want to take a first swing at that? What does that look like in your church? Um, you know, Jesus had his 12 and he had his three. Peter, James, and John were his closest. And John, in particular, was really close. And so we tell our people, you need to have your 12 and you need to have your three. And the way they work together in our church 
is the community group, which is what we call them, is for community. Uh, the crowd on Sunday mornings too large. You can't know everybody, and, and we're not even going to try in that sense. But you do need to have a group you belong to. And so we have those groups. They don't meet as often. They meet every other week. Um, I think your, y'all's community groups meet every week. Yeah, some meet every week and between every other and, and every other. Yeah, and our discipleship groups we call spiritual running partners. That's what we call those groups. And we call them spiritual running partners because we wanted to take off the, the, the strangeness to this new generation of the idea of, I want to disciple you, the authoritarian flinch. You know, oh, you want to be my authority? Ah, you have to kind of flinch back. So we use the term spiritual running partner. And those groups are threes and fours. And uh, we take a lot of our cues from the Greg Ogden material and how to set those up and work with those. But uh, they are usually launched out of the home group. I'll just give you an example. Right before the hurricane, I launched a new community group in my home. I'm the pastor, so it's a little easier for me to get people to come. And uh, the, first st- the first week, we had 27 adults at my house. It was too many. And about 28 kids. And so it was almost 60 people at my house. Uh, the last three times we've met, it's gotten more manageable. But all these people are new except for maybe three families. So when we start a new community group, we say have two or three core families and then go fishing. Get people to become friends. Oftentimes before you can witness, you should become a friend, right? Life on life, friendship-based witnessing. So we use our home groups as an evangelistic thing. Get them in your home, feed them. Have Have a Bible study around something that is connected to where they're at in life. So very felt needs kind of studies. And then... From that group, disciple makers go fishing. Find the spiritual poppers in those groups and try to, not always, it doesn't always work this way, but try to create your spiritual running partnerships, guys with guys, ladies with ladies, out of that group. So for us, it works hand in glove. And not all our groups are healthy, right? Just like not all your families are going to be healthy. Not all your singles in your college ministry are going to be healthy. That's life. And so we have to work with the unhealthy groups. We have to celebrate the ones that are healthy to repeat those in other groups. We have to have huddles of leadership meetings. But our home groups, community groups, and spiritual running partnerships work really good. Uh, The spiritual running partners meet every week, hour and a half plus they'll meet. Uh, The home groups usually meet every other week for two and a half, three hours. So they meet, they eat together, they do life together. So that's how we work it. It works well. So we, we, we do it a little differently, um, very similar, but, but what we do is we do small groups. And uh, small groups are built around the premise, those four, uh, we want you to grow. You want me to grow your group, we want you to grow your people, grow leaders, and grow new groups. That's all the thrust of small groups, those four. And then within those small groups, we challenge our small group leader to identify two to three in that group who are uh, what we, we say are available, faithful, teachable, and responsive. And uh, we teach them how to be on the lookout for people in their group that are that. And then they pull them aside one time a month and they begin to take them through our core, uh, our core, our core tools to begin to help um, pour into them uh, this whole idea once a month but they're only doing it once a month. We only meet once a month with those, those couple. But because we're in life with them 
every week during small group, you're still getting all the life, you're still getting all the, the, uh, the principles and things along that line relationally, uh, but we're, we're taking a little bit extra investment to pull them aside one time a month for about an hour. And, but we have a very clear tool for that, for that piece. Good. So at our church, we have on-site groups. So we have like a Sunday school model where we'll have uh, mid-sized groups have meet on campus. So these are anywhere from 20 to 30, 40 uh, in number. And then out of that, we fish out of that. Their disciple makers are, are fishing out of that to gather men and women together to disciple them at another time during the week. So they do. They, they come on Sunday and then they have their one other time. Which if you're off-site, you still have to come on Sunday and then give one other time also. So really the time, it, it, you're basically asking for Sunday plus one other time of the week in all three of our models, even though they're very different. Um, what's, what I think you'll find is whether you do groups on-site or off-site, whether you do mid-size or small group, whether you do whatever, you still must have the environments of kind of general community and then one that provides intensive yeah. training. Yeah. However that works. And I, I know I've seen multiple hybrids. I think this is a good example of different churches yeah. doing it different ways. James, but, James McDonald, I was telling you all the church that he pastors, they have their home group meeting every week uh, or every other week, depending on the group. And they tack on an extra hour at the end to do their discipling. So they'll meet for an hour or two and then... They'll, they'll have their discipling at the end where they break So the men guys. go one place, yep. the women go to another yep. in the second hour, and they yeah. do. So that's another, another hybrid. hybrid. That's yeah. a hybrid model. Uh, but you just got to figure out what works for your people, what kind of facilities you have. You know, on-site groups may not be available. We, we do on-site because we feel like we can get more people there while they're already on campus. But if you don't have a facility to support that, then... I mean, that's us. That's you guys. You yeah, there's we, no way. We, there's no way we could support our people with right. our facilities. I'd have to spend a couple of million more just to build classrooms that we use once a week. And I, right. I, we, our people don't want to do that. Right. So. But a church like this one, they've got those facilities to Already. do Already. Yeah. So um, just really begins, depends on what you want to do. Okay. I think we got any other questions wrapped around that? I think we've got time for one more question. All right. And then we're going to let you all go. Uh, last question here is millennials. What approach do you take? Uh, do you encourage men to engage uh, as disciple makers from the pulpit and how often? Those are actually two different questions. So the first one was just millennials. They have all kinds of different views of the world right now from, you know, maybe seeing the church as outdated uh, homophobic, narrow-minded, that kind of thing. How do you approach millennials? How do you reach them? How do you disciple them? And then the second question was, do you promote disciple-making from the pulpit in general? Those are two questions. So I can tell you, we definitely promote disciple-making from the pulpit. <laughs> it comes out in every sermon. Some way, somehow, our teaching pastor, whoever's on teaching, is squarely talking about becoming an M, what we call M7 disciple. At, and, and all of our application is always brought back to some piece of that. So it comes out regularly in all of our teaching. Our, our small group, uh, our small groups are, are, are the small groups I was telling you about, they're sermon-based and they're all built around the opening part of being an M7 and how they can engage in pieces of that uh, through the process. So yeah, we talk about it all the time. And then millennials, uh, we... 
it's actually our, our largest growing segment right now where we're at. Uh, we, we are heavily involved in our community. We do a lot uh, in, in Coweta County. Um, and in fact, we just, uh, we just launched a huge initiative uh, for Coweta County. And uh, we're actually, one of those initiatives is uh, we do a community garden, but it's to help feed under-resourced families uh, in our community. And, uh, and so a lot of our, this is really cool, a lot of our millennial uh, uh, gatherers are involved in, in that project. It's really cool. It's really organic. It's a, it's a sweet little deal. Uh, we have uh, four acres where we're growing food, uh, good food, uh, and then working with families who are under-resourced uh, and we have a, a renew shop that helps to clothe and feed uh, folks in our in our community that are again under resourced, and a lot of them are in, highly engaged in those projects. We got a big, huge uh, community deal tomorrow, as a matter of fact. So um, we, that's how we're utilizing them, and we're utilizing them in groups. We utilize them in leadership. Uh, a lot of our a lot of our leader, in fact, uh, all of our music team are. Uh, are 20 and are like they're in their 20s. There's nobody on our 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 platform that's un, it's under 25. Um, so we utilize them in, in those capacities. Uh, we utilize them as small group leaders. Uh, so we're 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 working really hard to try to um, raise up that that level. Yeah, great, Chris. Yeah, I don't know how much more to add to that, especially with last night's. If you were at the the big session last night said it well, that relationships are what they're looking for and relationships are the church. Mm-hmm. And so we've not really had any other um, audible to be called for an, a millennial than to possibly start a little further back. You know, if they, if, if they've not, if they don't have a worldview um, that, that is a, a higher place to start, if we've got to go backwards a little bit and say, okay, here's from creation to the cross, you know, if we got to go back and we use tools like uh, Multiply and others, um, we, we, we as a church have a, a number of ministries to the homeless. And sex, we, we have a, a harvest house that our church is really involved with for trying to rescue people out of the sex trade, and which is real big up and down I-10 where we are. And uh, they, they, they get involved with that. But we really haven't had any trouble reaching millennials because we're so relational. Our church is relational. I mean, there's... We, we don't have the facilities, we don't have the big, big mega menu, all the things. And so when they come to us, it's like if, if you want to be a part of the church, you've got to be part of the relationships. That's what, that's what we want. And so we really just haven't had any issue. A lot of 20-somethings involved in all avenues of our church. And I was going to tell you, part of our, a lot of our home groups that have millennials in them are led by, by older couples uh, that seem to, have, it makes a great connection. Um, and so we've, that's one of the tools that we've been using is we've got, uh, you know, older couples who are highly engaged in them life on life, several steps yeah. ahead of where they are in life. See, um, but I think that's the key. It's the go-getters. It's having a, lo- a core group of disciple makers who have a heart to go get people. And when you have that as the leadership of your small groups, your community groups, man, uh, millennials eat that up. That somebody is going after them and engaging them. If you have a us four and no more kind of closed-minded, closed groups, not closed-minded, but closed groups, 
they, they smell that a mile away and they don't want to be a part of it. So. Very good. You know, in our church, we have, we've started new groups focused primarily on millennials, but they are run by uh, empty nesters, which has been uh, effective. Uh, we are moving more and more into leadership and into high-profile positions. But one of the things we're learning is we've, we've got to start catching some of these in engagement in, in upper high school. Yeah. Uh, in, you know, we, when you kind of wall them off and say you're a student so you only can exist in the student area, then you've already created a gap where when they, when they leave that, well, I'm, I wasn't really involved in the church, you know, outside of the youth department. Now I'm in no man's land. So we're having to break some of those walls down when they're a junior and senior in high school so that when, when they move out of that, they're still involved in all these other things. So that's one of the things that I think could be useful is starting to break those walls down when they're in high school. Good. Uh, you know what? I think we're done. Hey, thank you guys so much for being here and for being a part. Be sure you go to our uh, community. Uh, so go to Disciple First backslash community and uh, register. That's free, absolutely free. And we'd love to stay in contact with you. And maybe we'll be coming to your area. We'd love to uh, contact you. And, and if you would like for us to come do a training in your town, uh, please let us know. We would love to do that. We do have a forum, which is usually from 10 to 2 over lunch. We'll tackle a topic, and there'll be two or three uh, presenters in that. It's high-paced, uh, very super practical. And so if you're wanting to raise the bar of disciple-making in your church or in a, your area, uh, please let us come be a part of that. We'd love to do that. Okay? Hey, thank you, everybody. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast. Make sure to download your copy of the free ebook by Disciple First called Invest in a Few. You can get it at discipleship.org slash disciple first. You'll find dozens of other great discipleship resources there as well at discipleship.org. May the Lord bless you as you seek to grow as a disciple maker.